know if you know the story or kind of where we've come from a little bit, but we're not, we did not just plant this church by ourselves. We're a part of really a movement that is a part of really planting churches all over Louisiana in the southwest region. Um, so we have two other campuses in Jennings and Eunice as well, and, and now here in Crowley, and God's just doing so many incredible things. And so what I want to do real quick is, in the past 14 months, um, we have grown up substantially from where, when, when, when we started to now. And I really want to talk about what is it going to take for you as an individual, for you as a, a part of a family to move forward? Because a lot of times there can be all this excitement within a new church and there is all this um, anticipation about what God's doing. And if we're not careful, if we don't jump on board, then we have the um, ability sometimes to just kind of plateau. So I really want to talk about what is it going to take for us to be a church that's not just here for 10 years, 20 years, but a church that is here for a long, long time and really has an effect on this community. And the one thing that is going to help us do that is simply wrapped up in one word. One word, and it's simply generosity. Generosity. If we're going to be a church that is going to last, if we're going to be a people that is going to really affect this city and see this city turned around for the name of Jesus, we have to learn how to be generous people. Um, There is nothing more frustrating or aggravating than a Christian who claims that they believe one thing, but they are the most stingy people on the face of the earth, right? Some of you, some of you avoid Christians because of the very fact that uh, maybe they're just downright mean, or they're always throwing out the rules. You have to live like this, and you have to do this, but the truth is a genuine Christ follower is the most generous person that you should ever meet. So before we dive into that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that today we have an opportunity to talk about you. God, we pray that, um, that today would not just be another sermon. God, it would not just be another thing that we do on Sundays where we come in and we hear a message and we worship and we go about our daily lives. God, I pray that today that you would truly impact us to who we really are, to the core being of ourselves. God, that you would radically flip us inside out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So here's the truth. I'm going to just jump right into it. Sorry that our screen is not fixed yet. I told you this last week. If you're frustrated, I promise you I'm super frustrated. But one of the ways that we want to help you out um, today is if you don't have a Bible and you can't follow along with us, we have some, some of our guys that have some notes. So if you didn't get a little note card, a little white note card, if you want to slip up your hand, they'll come and uh, give you one of those. It has all the scriptures and stuff like that. If you want to, uh, it'll be easier for you to follow along. So here's the thing. Today, I want to talk about simply what it's going to look like to be a generous people. People that live and breathe generosity. People that not only just say they believe one thing, but follow it up by their actions. And I believe a lot of us get so comfortable in hiding our finances um, or the things that God has entrusted us with, our possessions, we hide it from each other, or we simply just don't like to talk about it because it's uncomfortable to talk about. Maybe you've made some bad financial decisions or maybe you've made some mistakes and so therefore you don't like to talk about it because the more and more that you talk about it, the more and more it makes you, I guess in your mind, makes you look less. But here's the truth. In the scriptures, God talks about wealth, money, and possessions in terms of extreme outcomes. And this is the only kind of 
verbiage that he uses is, is extreme outcomes. But the truth is, generosity has to become a part of what it means to follow Jesus. If we're going to make a difference in this community, in this city, then people can't just say, hey, yeah, that's a cool church that meets at the Rice Theater, and they have a young crowd and a young pastor, and they got good music, and it's cool to be at. Um, here's the truth. What would it look like if rather than people just saying that about our church, they would say, man, every time I run into one of these people from OSC, they're just the most generous people on the face of the earth, and it makes me just want to love Jesus more. Or, or maybe they run into you, and you're just so generous with your time, your talents, and your efforts that when they run into you, not only do they want to know Jesus more, but they want to have a deeper relationship with him. Or maybe somebody that's lost and doesn't know Jesus just because of the way that you live your life now they want to know Jesus. I don't know if you realize this or not, but money, money has the capacity to lead you in both great sorrow and great joy at the same time. It has the capacity to lead you in great sorrow and great joy. And so here's the deal. If it has the ability to do just this, we need to be very careful with it. If money has so much power to lead us to the lowest places that we've ever been at and to some of the highest extremes that we've ever been at, something that has that kind of power, we have to steward it well and we have to be careful with it. Money is kind of like a powerful narcotic. It's like one of those drugs that you get addicted to and you can't stop taking it. And it can be good because money has the ability to um, relieve someone else's pain if you're generous with it. But it also has the, the ability to be self-consuming and you get so addicted to consuming possessions and things that you just want more and you want more and you want more. And our culture is very good at telling you this, right? Um, everybody has this in their pocket right now, but you have a cell phone, right? You have a, a smartphone, you have, a, you have an Apple phone, you have an Android, you have an a- Android, sorry, you need to find another church, right? Um, I'm just kidding, golly. Um, but smartphones have the ability, and the marketing companies have the ability to do this. Hey, you just got the latest model, but guess what? In six months, it's going to be out of date, and you need the new one, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you getting a new shirt? And you're like, I like it, and you're all excited about it, and it makes you feel good for about two days, three days, and then all of a sudden, the shopping buzz is gone, and you need another one, right? I don't look good in this shirt anymore. I looked good in it about three days ago, but now I need another one. So culture is very good at telling us this, and money has, it's so dangerous in this aspect because it tells you that you always need more, and you always need to think about yourself, and you always need to be concerned about yourself. But God warns us of the spiritual dangers surrounding the desires to be rich and having more stuff. And this is what he says, and this is on your note card in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's just stop there. Here's what this is saying. Man, if you got Jesus, and you got clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, and you got food to put in your bellies, then you should be the happiest person on the face of the earth. That you should be content with what you have. But here's the problem. The American dream is the complete opposite of the gospel. The American dream says, you know what, work as hard as you can and as young as you can retire. You know what, work as much as you can to accumulate as much stuff because the more stuff that you have, the more fun you can have and the more life has to offer you. But the scriptures say, but godliness with contentment is the greatest gain that you could ever have. 
So the question that I want you to answer this morning is this. If you find yourself coming to a place as we're talking about this and you feel conviction and you feel the Holy Spirit beginning to do some things in your heart, ask yourself this question. Would you really be content with just knowing Jesus, just having a roof over your head, having money to pay your bills and having food to eat? Would you really be content or do you need more? And the scripture goes on. For we brought nothing into the world And we cannot take anything out of the world. That car that you've been paying on for 10 years, you can't take it with you. That house that you dreamed about. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you hear the language in this? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Wandered away from the faith that money has the ability to cause us to wander away from Jesus. See, this is a warning to be careful that there's danger all around us. And Paul uses very explicit and extreme language here. He says you will have senseless and harmful desires that will destroy you. He goes on and he says you will be led away from the faith and walk away from Jesus if you're not careful. These are extreme scenarios and these dangers are real, but here's the truth, many times they're unseen. Many times we don't even notice it, that they're just kind of silently and slowly creeping up on us. And it may not start with destruction, your desire to want to accumulate more, but it will end with destruction. The dangers are real and oftentimes unseen. And I think what a lot of us like to do is soften the blow of the scriptures. Yeah, 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 I know Paul is using extreme language here, but you know, you know what? You don't know me, God. I'll never leave you. I'll never fall away from you. And so we like to take this extreme language the text has when Paul's saying, hey, you need to be careful. You need to be really careful. And what we like to do is we like to take it and we like to say, well, you know what? It doesn't really apply to me because my Christianity and my faith is so strong that nothing could ever cause me to fall away. And what Paul's saying is you're very wrong because money has the ability to cause us to wander away. And I love the word that he uses, wander away. He doesn't say that all of a sudden you're just one day serving Jesus and all of a sudden money has the ability to just pull you out of your relationship with Jesus. It causes you to drift. And so by the time you finally get to the point where you're not really serving Jesus anymore, you don't even know how you got there. Because you wandered away. You drifted away. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. Regardless of what you think, like, hey, that will never happen to me. It's very possible. It's, it could, what could happen, if Paul is saying it, and he was probably the most uh, profitable person outside of Jesus, advancing the name of Jesus, if he is probably the second person in the world that was closest to God the Father, if he's saying it, then guess what? It can happen to me and you. The greatest sorrow and destruction we could have if we fall in love with possessions and money is primarily spiritual. Because if we fall so in love with stuff, we miss out on Jesus. If we fall so in love with accumulating more things, we miss out on Jesus. The greatest sorrow in this world is to have a heart that is numb to the things of God. Do you know that maybe some of you have walked in this church and maybe you have strongly felt the presence of God and maybe it's what 
attracted you to this place and you say, this is where I want to be, this is where I want to grow, this is where I want to root my family. But do you know that the very thing that you felt, somebody else could be sitting in the audience and feel absolutely nothing? Could feel absolutely nothing. And, and oftentimes it's because they've gotten to a place where their focus is no longer on Jesus, but it's on their own circumstances and finding their happiness. If I just had this, if I could just get this, if I could just get my house paid off, if I could just have cars, if I, just, if I didn't have job struggles, then I would be happy. The truth is, no, you wouldn't. And men, let me tell you something. Even when the oil field picks back up, it is not going to define your happiness. It will not define your happiness. And so many guys just say, well, you know what? When it picks back up and things are good again, then I can just have that stress off of me. No, you won't. You'll find another place to stress out about. Something else in life will go wrong. Life has the ability to constantly throw us curveballs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not just the oil field. We have to find our worth not in what we accumulate, but in Jesus It must be wrapped up in Jesus. And here's why riches and wealth are so dangerous. Because they feed the illusion of our rebellion. Meaning this, riches feed the illusion there is life, meaning meaning and happiness away from God. Riches make you think you can find life, joy, and everything you want without Jesus. Because here's the deal. Some of you right now, you're begging and you're praying and you're pleading for God to just meet you where you're at. And the truth is, sometimes he can't because you're so comfortable. The truth is, you don't need him. Or at least that's what you've told yourself. I've gotten to a place where there's not too many things shaking up in your world where, hey, the bank account's good, the house is good, the cars are good, family's good. You know what? Man, this is awesome. I don't really need God. I don't really need God. And riches feed into this rebellion. And the truth is, many of us are the rich young ruler. Anybody remember the story in the scriptures of the rich young ruler? Let me read it to you. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I want you to notice something here because I love this story because here's what's about to happen. Jesus is about to clearly say, hey, just because you're a good person doesn't mean you get into heaven. All right, watch this. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And so this is Jesus answering the guy that's asking the question, how do I get into eternal life? And so this is his response says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And, and then here's the rich young ruler's response. And he said, Lord, time out, hold on. All these I have kept from my youth. I'm good, right? I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody. You know what? I don't have any lustful thoughts in my head. You know what? I'm, God, I'm a good person. So guess what? I think I'm going to go in to heaven. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said this, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Right? But he said, what is possible with man is impossible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So let's break down what we just read here. 
So you've got this guy that comes to Jesus, and he's saying, God, how do I spend eternity with you? Jesus says, okay, have you done all the commandments? Yes, I've followed all the commandments. Then he goes, you know what? Where you find your identity in your money, if I were to ask you to give it away, could you? And all of a sudden, we see his true colors come out. Oh, God, my wealth, everything that I've worked for, everything that I've fought for, everything that I've done, give that away? And I know some of us are sitting in here going, wait, hold on. Well, it doesn't even apply to me because you don't know my bank account, right? I'm not wealthy. And here's the truth. Every single one of us in here are a whole lot wealthier than we think we are. Let me put it to you this way. If you go to, I did it uh, a few weeks ago. If you go to globalrichlist.com, if some of you want to write that down, globalrichlist.com, I encourage you to do it when you're done. You can type in your salary and it will show you the percentage of how wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world. Okay? So, um, Here's the, here's the poverty line in the United States for a family of four. If you make $23,000 and you have four kids, then you're considered to be in poverty. Okay, Even if by making $23,000 a year in what the United States would be considered poverty, you're in 2.5% of the richest people in the world. 2.5% of the richest people in the world. If you make $33,000 or more, you're in the top 1%. I looked at it this morning, and I have some results. I was able to type in some of my own things, and uh, it starts giving you kind of some statistics. It says, if the salary that I make or what I take home, it says this. If I would earn this, it would take people in India 312 years to earn what I make in one year. 312 years. Think of it. That means... That phone that you have, if you broke it, many of us, it would take a few days for us to save up the money to get a new one. It would take someone 750 days in India to pay for that phone that you just broke or you just dropped. Listen, when Jesus is talking, when he's addressing the rich young ruler, he's not just addressing millionaires, okay, or people that make six-figure salaries or people that make a whole lot of money. He's addressing me and you. Because he's saying, hey, you're a whole lot better off than you really think you are. You're a whole lot better off than you really think you are. And a lot of times what we like to do earlier, as I said, we like to soften the blow of what Jesus is talking about. Oh yeah, but that that doesn't apply to me. That's for people that are overly rich or really wealthy. No, it applies to you. Because if we're talking about the word and we take that and apply it in today's context, we're all very wealthy according to the rest of of the world. And here's what I want you to know too. You know, some of us just have a gift to be very disciplined in our finances, right? So maybe you're just really good at saving money and making money and and doing all those things. I want you to notice something that even the rich young ruler's discipline could not save him in that moment. That in that moment when Jesus called him to say everything that you've worked for, everything that you've possessed, and everything that you've gained, if you really love me, you're willing to give absolutely everything away. So, why is it more difficult, if you're wealthy, to enter into the kingdom of God? Now listen, i got to make this clear. It's not because poor people are more spiritual. Okay, 
It's not because poor people are more spiritual. Biblically, that's not the case. You can look through many uh, examples all throughout Scripture where people that had large sums of money that advanced the kingdom and they stewarded their finances very well. So don't hear me saying this, that you're not allowed to make money if you're a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. That wasn't even the uh, idea behind the parable of the rich young ruler. Jesus just said, hey, if I were to ask anything of you, could you let it go? Could you let it go? Because the truth is, it's not about poor people being more spiritual. It's about this. Every single person, regardless of your socioeconomic status, meaning no matter where you fall on the scale of income, every single person on the planet falls short of the glory of God. Every person sins, every person has guilt, every person has shame, everyone has rebelled, and everyone is in desperate need of grace. Everyone is sinful, no one is righteous. It's even more difficult to enter into heaven if you make money because of this. Like nothing else, it caters to the lie that you don't need saving. When you have money, it caters to the lie that you don't need saving. And let me, let me prove it to you this way. Some of you only seek God when you're in emergency situations and when when everything else is going smooth. Man, your prayer life, your time with Jesus, even going to church is non-existent. But all of a sudden, you find yourself in a low point. You find yourself when you're in desperate need. What do you do? You come running to Jesus. Oh my God, 911, help me. And you start trying to find all these different avenues that can give you some answers. This is why it can be so dangerous. Riches can give you a comfortable world where you see your sins less and less. As you gain more wealth, you begin to confuse circumstances with your character. As you gain more wealth, it tells you that, you know what, I don't need to repent because I've got everything under control. Let me prove it to you this way. Many of us, when we go a couple of hours without food, we turn into different people, right? My wife likes to call it hangry. (laughs) Hungry and angry combined, okay? Women, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you women, like when you don't have food, you go psycho. You like, you want to kill somebody if you don't get your food, right? Um, I remember we used to, my wife and I used to go on these dates, especially when my wife was pregnant. We would go on these dates and we'd always, um, the way that it always worked out is we would go around dinner time. Well, every single time we're in the car, all of a sudden she's like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. And I, I had to realize, like, if I don't pull over to get some food, like, this date is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. So oftentimes, like, before we would actually get to the real restaurant that we were going to eat at, we were stopping to get, like, a quick, like, hot and spicy to hold her over till we got to the restaurant so we could actually have conversation because my wife has this face that she goes, like when she's, like I know it. Like I walk in from work and if she's hungry, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, let's, boys, sit down. Let's eat. Like, hurry up. Let's eat. Everybody, let's eat because it's about to be World War III in this house if we do not get some food. But here's the truth. When we get hungry, what happens? We become mean. We become irritable. We become frustrated. Little things start to bother us because we're hungry, Right? Yet we're so rich, we don't actually know what real hunger is. We don't. Because that feeling that you experience sometimes, imagine that and then take it to a place where they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. 
Imagine that hopelessness in the middle of that moment when you feel so hungry and you feel like, if I don't get that burger or french fries, I'm going to die. But put that into the hands of a mom who has a three-year-old child who walks around with no clothes and doesn't know how they're going to feed this child. It's a completely different scenario, right? I was in South Africa a few years back with my dad. And uh, we literally had a mom, it happened to my dad, a mom came to my dad and said, just please take my baby. Like a baby, okay? Six-month-old baby, please take my child. Talk about rock your world. Because she realizes, like, I don't know how I'm going to feed this child. I don't know how I'm going to take care of this child. I don't know what I'm going to do. And if you take it back to America, I know that he'll have a better life than he would ever here. Many of us have never felt the stressfulness of that situation, right? The stressfulness of feeling the pain of hunger, but then not being able to satisfy the pain. I mean, heck, and I'm not in any way kind of advocating for this. If some of us didn't have the means to get food, there is all kinds of means around us where, you know, we can go next door to our neighbor and ask them. We can squash our pride for a moment. Or, heck, you could raid a grocery store and steal something if you had to. I'm not advocating you do that. But what I'm trying to do is, obviously, I'm exaggerating a point. There's places across the world where there is no grocery store. There is no place where they could borrow something. See, a lot of times we think that um, we really understand what it means to go without and, and to lack. But the truth is, we're patient and we're nice a lot of times because our bellies have been full, filled. And richer, riches cater to us and they push away real needs of the world around us. So the reason that some of us are not able to see the things that God's heart breaks for every single day is because we're so focused on satisfying our own needs. The reason that, because here's the deal, I've been all across the world and I've seen some of the most horrific things that you could ever see. And here's the thing, what I've seen in Africa, you can go right over here and see it. Listen, you do not need to go across the ocean to see poverty. It's happening right here in our city. Man, there there are people here in Crowley, Louisiana that do not know how they're going to eat. Do you realize that? And listen, if we want to be a church that is going to make an impact on this city, we have to allow God to begin to break down the walls and the blinders that we put up where, that keep us from being able to see the greater needs in this city. See, riches can give you a comfortable world where you see your sins less and less. And this is a dangerous place to be at. Here's the truth. The only way that we can know God as our Father is looking at a bloodstained cross and saying, you know what, I deserve that. It's the only way that we can know God as our Savior. When you realize the only way that you can get your eyes off of yourself is realizing that everything that you have is not given to you because you just had some kind of ability or gift or talent or you just worked hard enough. Because here's the question. Who gave you the gift? Who gave you the work ethic? Who gave you the talent? all comes from Jesus and everything that we have comes from a generous father, which is why we should be a generous people. 
The reason that we give, the reason that we want to lay our lives down for other people is because God modeled that for us by sending his only son. And the only way that you get to that place is by saying, you know what, you look at the cross and you say, you know what, that should have been me. There is no amount of effort, there is no amount of good works, there is no amount of anything that I have done that should lead me to a place where I deserve this. Everything that I have, everything that you own, everything that you possess is a gift from God. And some of you maybe look at your life and you say, well, you know what, God must have forgot about me because <laughs> he hasn't blessed me with much. He hasn't given me much. The truth is he's given you breath in your lungs, you're still breathing. The truth is you're here in a place today in a church family that wants to love you. And I don't know anything better than that. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. Now, here's the deal. Let me switch gears a little bit. So on one side, riches are dangerous. And then on the other side, there's so much potential for joy as we give it all away. So here's the deal. I'm not saying that wealth and riches are bad. Listen, if God has given you much, then guess what? You have just unlocked your potential for joy. There is so much joy as you give it away. Acts 20, 35 says it this way. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And parents... You see this play out every single Christmas, don't you? Like, isn't it funny how Christmas switches from when you were a kid? You're like, oh my, I can't wait. There's going to be so many presents under the tree, and I'm going to open this. I'm going to get a bike. And as a little kid, there is so much anticipation. And then as you grow up and you, you have, start having kids and you walk into adult lifehood, you're like, if we could just put one present under the tree, that'd be great. But the, the anticipation switches over, right? I mean, for us, Claire and I get excited because our kids get to tear open a bunch of gifts and we get to see the excitement in their face. That's the excitement of Christmas for us that, man, we got to give something and now they get to enjoy that gift. When Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive, it's so true. It's so true. Jesus promises that there is more blessing, there's more meaning, there's more joy, there's more happiness, there's more peace in giving than receiving. There's more peace in giving than taking. If this is true, then your money just became an incredible tool for great joy. Great joy. See, money is powerful, but it's also morally neutral, meaning this, it's not inherently evil. Okay, money is not evil, and I, I know some people preach it or teach it this way. Money is not evil. It has the ability to become evil, but it's morally neutral, meaning it can be a good thing if you use it right. Money itself is not evil. No matter how hard you've worked, ultimately, it all comes from Jesus. And so here's what I believe. Many of you, a few weeks ago, we talked about some of the, the REACH project that we were doing in all of our campuses, for those of you who are new that you don't know what it is, basically the REACH project for the past almost two and a half years has been a campaign to help grow some of our campuses. 
And uh, basically what we've done, the first phase was for us to raise $200,000 to start this campus. And guess what? We did it. We raised $200,000 to plant this campus. So every single person that sits in these seats today sit here because people in Jennings and Eunice gave generously. And they gave to seats that they would never sit in. And they gave to, to people's lives that would be changed that they would probably never even meet. And so as a church family, you know what we want to do? We want to turn around and be generous to them. Jennings right now is growing like crazy. Um, my dad called me this morning, and he was telling me something. He had just got an email from uh, some of the guy. For those of you who don't know, we're building a brand-new building in Jennings for our kids' department, a huge building there. And uh, basically, um, we've been – if anybody knows one of my dad's giftings, it's just negotiating. <laughs> okay, my dad is just – he's like, the price is 50000 My dad's like, great, thirty grand. He's, no, no, the price is 50000 Great, 30000 <laughs> He just has this ability to be able to do that. I'm terrible at that. They're like, fifty grand. i am like, all right, great. <laughs> you know, um, but he has just this ability to negotiate things. So a lot of the prices on the building have dropped. And he called me a day and he said, you'll never believe this. He said, we were going to need about $20,000 to finish the first phase. He said, we got it. We're finishing the first phase. We're going to second phase. And the second phase is literally blacking in the building, throwing up the, the tin and the roof and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? We're almost there. And so we were going to do this whole initiative to say, hey, guys, if you want to give to this project, you can do that. And, and uh, help us finish phase one, guess what? We're already done. <laughs> We've already finished phase one. So it's just evident that God is breathing, that God is moving on these campuses. And in a minute, as I finish all this up, I do want to give you an opportunity to be able to give to that project and what God's doing. Because I genuinely believe the more that we become generous, what God has given us, and listen, it's not even about an amount. Okay, it's not about some absorbent amount. It's just being obedient to God, just like the rich young ruler said. Hey, if Jesus tells you to do it, can you do it, even if it causes some sacrifice? You know, it's a blessing for my wife and I to be able to give to this church. And what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to say this out of pride or, or make myself look good or anything like this. My wife and I today are some of the, the biggest givers in this church and it's not because we make a whole lot. It's just the fact that we really believe in this church. We really, really believe in this church. You know what? We give to this church because of one reason. When we started this place, it started to be just this idea, right? This idea that, man, what if we met in the Rice Theater? Remember, I don't know if you guys know this. It, we were going to meet at the, uh, the festival hall down there. I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad we did it. And we had this dream. My dad and I were driving down a road about two years ago and I passed in front of the theater. And I said, Dad, let's do it in the theater. And he's like, I don't know if you can score that, but hey, start talking to some people and see if we can do it. So we end up getting the theater. And all of a sudden, this idea starts becoming a reality. And then on September 14, 2014, we open the doors for the first time. 185 people show up. And guess what? 14 months later, 150 people have come to know Jesus. And 200 people call this place their home. And listen, this would have never happened without people being generous. Would have never happened without people looking outside of themselves and saying, you know what, I want the advancement of the gospel to ensue all throughout Louisiana. 
that it's not just about me, it's just not about my hometown and my church, that ultimately I want people that are far from Jesus to come to know Jesus. My wife and I give to this church because before OSC Crowley, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I followed Jesus, but I've found so much joy and so much passion for people here as I've seen people go from literally death to life. We give because we believe in that. We believe that, man, what God's doing here is special. I don't know if you guys know this, and I asked my dad if I could say this, and he has no problems with this, but um, what we have done, and I don't even want to say that, what God has done in 14 months with us on every Sunday, there's over two, about over 200 to a little over 200 people that call this place their home. It took us about 11 to 12 years to do that in Jennings. 11 to 12 years. So listen, I don't know if you know this, the average church in America is about 70 people. We're in like the top 1% of churches in America. That, that's, listen, God is up to something here. And listen, I don't want you to miss out on it. I don't want you to miss out on it. I want you to dive in. Like, you know, when you go on that slip and slide and you're just kind of like, I know this is going to hurt, but whatever. And you just go for it. That's how I want it to look. Like, you know what? I still got some questions about things. I'm unsure about some things, but you know what? I'm going for it. Because the moment that you do is the moment that you're going to experience that joy and that peace that you've been looking for all along. Some of you just need to be a part of a family. Some of you just need to learn to be a part of a family. I'm generous, and hopefully that you can learn to be generous because we get to advance God's kingdom and uniting people and seeing people come to know Jesus on a daily basis. Now, here's the deal. I know all of this can be overwhelming, right? Especially the topic of finances. It can be extremely overwhelming when we start talking about these things. But I want to ask you this today. Could it be that the reason God presents these opportunities in these moments at times is to say this, is there something in your life, if I asked you to give it, would you? And I think so many people get offended in these things sometimes when we talk about money or whatever. And, and the truth is the offense genuinely derives from a place of resistance in their own heart. From a, a place of resistance of like, they know that God's calling them to do it, but they just can't get there yet. So here's the truth. I want to encourage you just to start somewhere. Start somewhere. Maybe today it's not giving to the REACH project. Maybe today it's not even giving to this church. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. I'm never going to pressure you and try to pump something up. That's just not what we do. At the end of the day, I want you to do what God is calling you to do. I want you to do what 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. And it says this. Each one must give as what? As he has decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we choose to give, we're choosing to follow Christ in the destination of joy. We're choosing to follow Christ in the destination of joy. So here's what I'm asking you to do today. that You would constantly take your finances and your money and you would bring it before Jesus and you would say, God, what would you have me do with this? Some of us just need to start there like, God, what would you have me do? If you want me to be generous to this church and to the people around me in my neighborhood, in my workplace, if I want to be a generous person, then what do you want me to do?
Because here's the deal. I believe that if I wanted to, I could be pretty convincing. I want to, if I wanted to stand up here and guilt people into all that stuff, I believe I could do that. But here's the truth. I don't believe that's what we're called to do, and I don't believe that that's what God wants us to do. I believe what God wants us to do is begin to ask some hard questions in our own personal life. What God wants us to do is just learn to be generous people all around, not just at church. When, I'm, when I say this, I'm talking about your life. Man, maybe there may be people that are just less fortunate than you, that, and God's put you in their path for a reason to say, you know what, we have the means we can help. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but the church, especially in America, when it was first established, when the pilgrims, and when they came over, and the gospel was advancing, did you know that there was no government taking care of people? That the church took care of people. Did you know that? Like the church was building orphanages. The church was building food banks. The church was doing all these things. What would it look like in Crowley, Louisiana, if a church just said, with the people in it, that said, you know what? I'm going to be generous. And we could truly see this city turned upside down for the glory of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you to start somewhere. Hebrews 12, 1, 2, we're bringing this to a close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us all lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before us in him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. So here's what this is saying. Jesus came to this earth to give himself away. And to this day, he is continually giving himself away. If Jesus is the founder and perfecter and the author of our faith, and we are called to follow him and model him, then we must do this. If Jesus modeled on the cross generosity, then as his followers, we must do the same thing. God, you sacrificed, you laid down your life, you laid down your time, your talents, your efforts, your money. God, what would you have me do? Because I want to follow you, I want to be generous. Through what he did on the cross for our sins, he gave us an example of generosity. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, he did it for our joy. He did it for our joy. He did it so that we could have hope. Man, so that we could come in here, sit in here today, and not just hear some bleak message. Hey, guess what? We should all follow Christ, but there is no way. (laughs) There would be no way without Jesus sending his one and only son and being generous. So, this morning, I want to ask you the very question. Do you find yourself at a crossroads? You find yourself at a place where Jesus is looking at you dead in the face and he's saying, if you want to follow me, then this is what you've got to do. And listen, for some of you, it's not finances. For some of you, it's simply, hey, you need, what, if you, you need to confess this. For some of you, it's you need to repent of this. For some of you, it's you need to go home and you need to look at your wife and say, I'm sorry. Some of you, it's going back to your boss and saying, you know what, man, this may get me fired. But you know what, I've done some shady deals and it's not how I should do it. It's not honorable and this is what's happened. I'm sorry. 
Some of you are stuck spiritually because you're coming to that crossroads when Jesus is looking at you and saying, you want to follow me? This is what you got to do. Some of you are at that moment today. And listen, there is no greater freedom than when you look at it and say, you know what, I know this is going to hurt. I know this is going to be painful. I know this is going to be embarrassing. But you know what, I'm willing to do it because I want freedom so bad. Listen, some of you desire freedom. Some of you desire peace and joy so badly. The only way that you're going to get it is if you do right now what you feel like God is calling you to do. And I trust in the Holy Spirit, in his conviction, I don't even have to name it, that right now you know what it is inside of you. You know it's like leaping out of your chest right now. Whatever that is, that's what you need to do. Whatever that is, that's what you need to do. Let's pray. And if our ushers want to get ready, we're going to receive our offering in just a moment. Father God, I pray for the ones that are in here this morning, God, that they find themselves at that crossroad. That crossroad of life of, God, they know they need to make a decision, but it's so tough because it may cause some pain. It may cause some tears. It may cause some insecurity. It may cause us being vulnerable for a moment. But God, help us to be able to get to that place so that we may experience the freedom that you offer. God, help us to learn to be generous people that we cannot reach this city for the glory of advancing your name if we're just stuck in our own bubble. God, I even pray it for myself. God, if there's things in me, God, that have kept me from being able to draw closer to you or not being generous, God, God, I repent of those things. God, help us to be a people today that love you so much, God, that we're willing to do whatever it takes. In Jesus' name.